Amen. Hey, grab a seat. Grab a seat. Oh, how you guys doing tonight? Oh, all my church junkies are in the house. When, when you have an event on a Monday, you know it's all the church junkies. So uh, one of my favorite things about team night is, uh, so I actually, when I'm getting ready to come up, um, there's this little wall right here, and I stand behind it. So when you're standing behind it, you can't, you can't hear the worship team. You don't hear the uh, amplification because you're behind the speakers. You just hear the congregation. Team nights are when this church sings the loudest. And I, it's something about, like, no, this is people, like, it's just like this rally cry of being here. And so, super glad you're here. Uh, just to get it off the bat, please continue to eat your nachos. I will not be offended. You did not make that choice, okay? I will just take it as, like, an affirmation and, like, a, like a Baptist amen when, when I hear a nacho crunch. So, uh, so, so go, ahead and get, go ahead and get after it. So, uh, how many of you guys, this is your first time coming to a team night uh, here, here at Rise? Oh, yeah, we got, yes, I like it. Okay, good, good. So, so what this is, is, you know, just think of this as like a, a kind of a little mini leadership conference, okay? And uh, because we exist to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. And the way that Jesus brought, spread the gospel when he departed was he raised up disciples. He equipped them, empowered them, sent the Holy Spirit. And so we as a church, the way we accomplish the mission that God has given us is by raising up disciples, people of influence, leaders, and pouring into them. And so that, that's the focus. And so um, I'm going to give a talk tonight. It's not a sermon. Uh, it, it's a leadership talk, okay? And think much more like Proverbs and James, like wisdom and strategy um, than like Romans. Um, and so like it's more like, hey, how, how do, what does this look like? So here's what I want to talk about. I, I want to talk about tonight this idea of why some teams thrive, but most teams don't. And as I talk about this, um, I think you're going to have a ton of things that apply to your ministry teams and, and as you're leading and serving and a part of it. But I also, uh, you need to take this stuff, and I would encourage you to take these principles um, because they're biblical principles and ideas and apply them uh, to your work life. Apply them to your uh, neighborhoods. Apply them to any, any endeavor, your family, any endeavor you may be involved with um, because I think it's gonna be really helpful. But here's the thing. So, isn't it interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this, there's certain teams that are, man, they just seem to stand above the rest and they thrive and then others like really don't. So I'm like a, I'm an NBA junkie. Like that's like my hobby is like I, almost every night I fall asleep uh, to the soothing voice of NBA podcasts. Like that's like uh, how I, like I, how I turn my brain off. And so like I've been obsessed ever since like, I, I was a little kid uh, with NBA. And it's fascinating when you look at NBA franchises. I want, to, I want you to see the break down of NBA franchises. So this is the third and fourth, fourth most NBA championships, okay? So that's like tier two. The next tier uh, below that, you got the Spurs, they got five, you know, and then the Sixers, Pistons, and Heat, they have three, you know, because, uh, you know, LeBron went to South Beach, you know, so, uh, and so, uh, and then the next tier below that, Knicks and Rockets have two, and then there's a whole group, shout out Blazers, have one, okay, right? <laughs> No, be proud. Spirit of 77, right? You know, Bill Walton will just show back up one of these years, just ready to go. And then there's a tier at the bottom. A lot of teams that have zero, you're above them, okay? Uh, no Clippers, you know, and Hornets, all that kind of stuff. But here's what's fascinating to me. Um, at the very top, there's two teams that kind of stand above the rest, okay? Uh, yeah, Celtics and Lakers with 21 each, okay? And neither of them are gonna get 22 anytime soon. I'm telling you, it's not gonna happen, right? It's not gonna happen. But, but there's this, this is true 
in sports, you see sports franchises. It's true in businesses. It's true in churches. You, it, you ever walk into a church and you're like, there, there's something happening here. And then you walk into other ones and you're like, it just feels like nothing's happening here. Right? And so we want to be, build teams and be a church and, and you know, be in families and ministries uh, that thrive. You had experiences where some teams, they just feel amazing. Other teams, they feel like they're floundering, okay? And so what I wanna do is I wanna give a list of, of reasons why that may be. And, and, and what I'm gonna say here is this is not a complete list. And um, there may be things that you would come up with that are actually a lot more obvious. Um, but I wanna come up with a list of things that maybe we wouldn't typically notice or think about, okay? Uh, so here's number one. Uh, most teams go after talented players. Thriving teams go after winning players, Okay, and, and I'll explain the difference. Um, there was a, a, a number of years ago, I read a study. It was a 30-year study of different leaders, um, you know, who had been, uh, you know, um, put, kind of put forward and, and fast-tracked uh, in business. And it was in multiple different countries. And um, they, um, so they were talented, you know, really talented team members. And some of them uh, thrived, and some of them were derailed. And so they started to make this list of, of what were the commonalities between those who, um, you know, who excelled and those who were derailed. And there was two things, excuse me, <coughs> at the top that, that um, really, these people got derailed. And these were the top two reasons. Okay, number one, um, poor relationship skills. They didn't play well in the sand, sandbox. Actually, can you hold off on those? I'll, I'll pull that up in a, in a second. Uh, poor relationship skills. And number two, the inability to adapt. They, they could not handle changes or adaptations, okay? Those people would get, the, they had all the talent in the world, but if they couldn't work well with others and they couldn't adapt to change, um, you know, pretty quickly they, they stopped progressing up the corporate ladder or, uh, or progressing in their business. But here's where it got really fascinating. They looked at the, the top two success factors that would make somebody excel. You know what they were? Number one, the ability to adapt. They can make mid-course corrections. And number two, strong relationship skills. And, and this was just observations and, and data that, that they collected. And, and there was this strong congruence. And so here's one of the things I wanna think about. There's a difference between just talented players and winning players. Um, a lot of people have talent, but, but what makes a difference on a team and a thriving team is this ability to adapt and ability to have connection with others. Now, here's the thing. Um, absolutely, these are biblical principles, okay? Uh, so I wanna look at this first one, a strong relationship skills, because the truth is the best player who can't play well with others will tear a team apart if they don't have relational depth. Now, Bill Russell, who single-handedly uh, has 11, well, maybe not single-handedly, but he, he himself has 11 NBA championships, so just like more than any other team other than the Celtics or Lakers. Um, this is what he says. He says, I always thought that the most important measure of how good a game I played was how much better I made my teammates play. See, that's a winning player. He's not looking for stats. He's not looking for accolades. He's saying, no, how am I pouring into the people around me? But again, biblical principle, Philippians 2, what does it tell us? It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Or 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, 
but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Or maybe another way to put it, if I can blank, but I have not love, I am nothing. Like, like, what, like what is it? Like what skills do you have? Like what are you really good at? What are you incredible at? Well, you could do any of that, but if you don't do it with love, uh, then, then the Bible says, what Paul says here is, I am nothing. You actually can be the biggest hindrance to a team by being a talented or a star player who doesn't include others, who doesn't show grace and kindness to others. And so even, you know, as a church, we, we look at this grid. You know, when we were getting ready to launch groups, we, we sat down and we said, man, what are the best group leaders? Well, they're gonna be people who are spiritually mature. You have to have that. You gotta have spiritual maturity. Um, you have to have relational warmth, and you have to be deeply committed to the mission. But we need to be careful, and this is something that, that teams and churches do, and, and, and a couple warnings. Never ignore a lack of character for an abundance of giftedness. That's gonna be dangerous every time. Like, man, but they're so good, and they're great. Yeah, like, they, they make everybody else frustrated. They're actually gonna cause more damage in the long run, because even if they move up the ladder of your team or have more and more influence, that, then that... Uh, lack of character is gonna actually be more damaging on your team. It, it's gonna tear things apart in a deeper way. And some of you, you guys have seen this. You're like, man, they're so good at what they do, but they're a jerk to everybody. And, and so we have to ob observe these, these kind of things. Um, you ever been around uh, what I would call a pit bull for Jesus, right? They're like ferocious. And you know what's amazing? Uh, you love them when they're on your side, Right? Man, they go after everybody. They, what, what's the whole point of like pit bulls and, and guard dogs it, is to protect you against others, you know? But, but here's what's fascinating to me. You can look up this data. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, um, dog-caused fatalities, okay? 4% um, of them are from dogs that have German Shepherd in them. 7% of them are from dogs that have, you know, some kind of Rottweiler in, the, Rottweiler in their blood. And 60% of them have pit bull in their blood. Okay, it, it, here's the thing. We can say, oh, this is amazing. This is great. They, they're so protective until they turn on you. And, and, and listen to me. Uh, my deepest ministry scars are people who I once thought, oh, I'm so glad they're next to me because they help protect me from other people and they go after it ferociously and then they turn on me because they're not marked by grace. They're not marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have to actually look at character. We can't, we can't ignore character for an abundance of giftedness or knowledge or information or, or any of those kind of things. Okay, here, number two in that area is the ability to adapt. Uh, what does Paul say to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9? I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And what he's saying, he's not compromising his theology, but he's saying, no, I can adapt to the circumstances and situation around me to accomplish the goal. He's not, he's not rattled by, by these things. And here's the truth. If there's anything we know about the future, it's this. It's gonna be very different than what you thought, right? 
I mean, how many plans and strategies did we have, you know, 2019? Man, I remember January 2020, our leadership team got away and just like mapped out what the year was gonna look like. We're, we're finally gonna get ahead. Here's, you know, here's all the pieces, right? We're gonna have our grand opening in March. It's gonna be incredible in Easter, and, right? If there's anything we can know about the future, it's gonna be very different than what we thought. We need to be people who are willing to posture ourselves saying, I don't actually know what's gonna happen. The one thing I do know is it's gonna go not as I expected and we're gonna be way better off. Um, it was interesting. Um, one of my favorite seasons now of this church uh, was how this church responded in the midst of COVID. Uh, because the way this church was willing to adapt and pivot um, what, what happened during COVID, and, and, and all churches will acknowledge this, is the rules all changed. And I don't just mean the government rules, okay? People are like, well, don't, you know, don't bow to Caesar, right? Okay. Uh, that's not the rules I'm talking about. I'm talking about the social contracts that we had with each other. I'm talking about the way we behaved and interacted and walked around. Um, and, and what happened is um, when we got together as a church, you know, we started, um, you know, we did, okay, we're gonna do church at home and it's gonna be so fun, it's gonna be great and we're gonna have kids dance and like, by like week three, like I couldn't even get my own wife to watch it. She was like, I'm done, like we're over this, right? <laughs> like, you know, it was like everybody was, you know, was that way, you know? And so like, but it, we started out all excited and, and we got in and I remember watching all these churches and they, were, they would say these things like, oh, we're actually having more people engage with church than ever, you know, right? Because, you know, YouTube, you see those, you know, see that ticker count, right? But we asked a different question. You know what question we asked? Are we fulfilling our mission? See, we could say, oh, look, all our arrows are hitting over here. Look at all these views and look at all these clicks and look at all these downloads. So let's just take the target and move it over there. No, no, no. We said, are we, we have a call to baptize people. We have a call to make disciples. In 2019, we baptized 70 people that year. The first nine months of 2020, you wanna know how many people we baptized? The answer is zero. And that was the point where we're like, we have to change. And, and we said, if you were to start all over, uh, what would you do? If we need to plant a church again. Yeah, we have different resources than we had when we planted. We have an incredible group of people um, that we didn't have when we planted. And so we got, to, we got together, we recast vision, we retrained leaders, we reconstructed our gatherings and what it looked like. And, and here's where we're at now, okay? And I think this is helpful. This is just a number. But the average attendance of churches across America um, since COVID, you know, um, they have seen a decrease in attendance of about 40%. 40%. And this is all across the country. I'm not speaking of different, uh, different, country, uh, different countries or continents, but here in the United States, 40%. Um, they've dropped services, they've dropped staff, they've dropped all kinds of things. Um, since COVID for Rise, we've increased by 82%. And what that is, is absolutely, is it the hand of God? Absolutely. But guess what? God loves those other churches too, Okay. Um, it was a willingness to say, hey, we need to go back to the drawing board and, and we need to adapt and we need to change. And this matters. And so listen to me, when you're building a team, uh, yeah, look at experience and look at talent, that's great, but do not ignore character. Do not ignore how, they, how, the, how we treat others. Do not ignore that ability to adapt 
uh, to change. And, and honestly, for all, all of us, we actually have to look in the mirror. Uh, m- maybe what we need is not another leadership or strategy book, uh, another business idea to get ahead. Um, maybe we need to Im- apply uh, the, the relational ethics of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. And that makes a difference in how we walk through things. All right, number two. Uh, most teams are made up of matching members. Thriving teams are built with a diversity of personality, prowess, and perspective. We, we actually have to have variance and we have to have diversity. Now, why similar members? It's just so much easier, right? Everybody looks like me, everybody thinks like me, everybody talks like me, and so um, we, let's build a team where we all get along, we all think alike, and, and that way, like, we, everybody, if everybody's just, just like me, then we won't argue and we won't debate anything, um, and that's how most teams are, are made up. They're made up of matching members, but thriving teams, they're built with a diversity, a personality, prowess, and perspective. Um, if you're gonna build a team that thrives, you need to have a mix. See, here's what's interesting to me about churches. Um, and some of you guys are gonna resonate with this and you're just gonna do it quietly in your heart because of how your personality is. But certain, certain personalities get all the attention and certain personalities get ignored in a church. Um, you know who, who gets all the attention? Um, the obnoxious people like me. <laughs> Extroverted, wanna meet a million people. Hey, how's it going? All right, right. You know who gets ignored in churches? Um, introverts. Here's what I need you to hear. God made you that way. You have a beautiful role to play in this body. Um, there's a book uh, by S- Susan Cain uh, called Quiet. And I just want to read a couple quotes for you, uh, from, uh, for you from it that I think are really helpful. Um, introversion, along with its cousin's sensitivity, seriousness, and shyness, is now a second-class personality trait, somewhere between a disappointment and a pathology. Extroversion is an enormously appealing personality type. And like, by the way, I'm not hating on you extroverts. I am one. Okay, I'm a raging extrovert, right? Okay, I like my battery drains when I'm alone. You know, I need things like this. I literally just plan these things so I can hang out with you all, okay? Uh, But we've turned it into an oppressive standard to which most of us feel we must conform. There's something wrong with you if you walk in a room and just feel this like anxiousness. There's something wrong with you if you'd rather sit by yourself and read a book than be up in a group and talk to a lot of people. She goes on to say, we know from myths and fairy tales, this is such a good line, uh, that there are many different kinds of powers in this world. One child is given a lightsaber, another a wizard's education. The trick is not to amass all the different kinds of power, but to use well the kind you've been granted. Now, Susan Cain is not a Christian by any means, um, but we know who grants those powers. Uh, you were knit together in your mother's womb. There's things that you just don't like about yourself. There's things that make you insecure things that you wish were different. You know why you're that way? Because we need you. That's what our church needs. That's what your family needs. Um, my wife is very opposite of me. She's very uh, introverted. And she was telling me a story the other day uh, at school. She works at 8th Street. 
And uh, there's this little girl who's just been having a really hard time with drop-off. And uh, so much so that her mom will literally bring her in the office to Jesse and be like, I have to go. Um, Can you take care of this? And Jesse's like, hey, get out of here. We got it, right? And so, and Jesse was telling me, she's like, I see this little girl and I know everything she's feeling because it feels, I, I felt what she feels. I've been there. And Jesse says she gets down on her level and says, hey, let me walk with you to class. She says, okay, and grabs her little hand. And Jesse walks her into class and sits down next to her. And she says, hey, let's take our deep breaths now. Like as if Jesse is walking with little six-year-old Jesse again into class. But this time, this little girl has somebody with her. See, now if it was me, I'd be like, no, just speak louder and exert your dominance in that classroom, little girl, right? Make them respect you, right? Tell the joke, goof off, whatever it takes, right? I could not connect with that little girl, could I? Absolutely not, but Jesse can because of who God has made her to be. Now look at what the Lord has to say about this. He's talking about all the different parts of the body, all the different parts of a church. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. That's the word of the Lord. That is not some self-help book. That is the word of the Lord for some of you tonight. It's how God made you. And we need you. Thriving teams are built with a diversity of personality and prowess and perspective. Prowess and perspective are very similar, right? We need a diversity of skills and strengths. And we can't look at others and be like, hmm, you know, how can the eye say to the foot, I don't need you? Or the hand say to the eye or the ear, I don't need you. No, we need each other in these things. And we need different perspectives. Uh, there was a situation a couple of years ago, Noel and I were, you know, dealing with, he reached out to me, there's something going on with young adults. And uh, he was like, hey man, how would you handle this? And I'm like, okay, like here's what I think that guy needs. Situation between a guy and a girl. Here's what that guy needs and here's how I would handle it. He's like, I was thinking the exact same thing. And so we... We're like, gonna go to move forward. He's like, before we move forward, uh, let me, I'm gonna reach out to Kristen and Hannah. Okay, I'm gonna bring Kristen and Hannah in. Hey, here's what we're thinking, here's what's going on, and here's how we're gonna move forward. And they were like, that sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) If you do that, that's gonna make this girl feel this. And we were both like, you are right. Never would have thought about that. You know why? Because we only have one perspective. And this is why we need a diversity of not just personality, not just skill, but of perspective. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. One of my favorite little phrases in there is he gave. Who's he? It's Jesus. Do you know why you're at this church? You are a gift from Jesus. Man, like I look around this room and I'm just so grateful for the faces in this room. I'm so grateful for this church, man. I'm so, like I love going up to, you know, the the little bike cart, little pause coffee and seeing Will Ray. You know what I'm talking about? Like that big old smile and that like that smooth, smooth pour and he's got his little shaker. 
And like, man, he is a gift to our church, amen? Right? All the coffee people said amen, right, right? And guess what? In about a month, he's gonna be a gift to our whole city, okay? When pause opens up and every single one of you, every single one of you attend, goes in there every day and buys multiple things, like, right? Like, it is a gift. Amanda Van Warmer, where you at, Amanda Van Warmer? In the back, okay, holding their baby, yes. Amanda, you are a gift to our church, you know that? I, I was going through uh, today, and uh, we, have a, we have like a database and, uh, you know, tied to services. And, and I was looking up Amanda and all the different teams that she's served on. That girl has just poured her heart out in so many different ways. She's, she's made coffee. She's in the bookstore. She's done slides. She showed up as an elf. She had a new baby. The baby was an elf, right? Like, right? <laughs> And uh, we had a moment um, when uh, it was right before Amanda knew she was pregnant, but she was pregnant, and she was on slides, and she came back after one of the services. She's like, hey, I heard you want some changes. And I was like, yeah, I got a couple things. And she's like, okay. And she just starts weeping. And I'm like, oh, oh, I, I, no, no changes. We're good, right? We're good, right? And we had this little moment. We had to stop, collect each other, you know, like pray. Okay, we're good. She comes up to me a few weeks ago. She's like, hey, you know how I was uh, crying a few weeks ago. I was like, yeah, I, I think I might remember that. <laughs> She's like, so I'm pregnant, so that answers that. I had all these hormones going on. It was fine, I'll fix the slides, we're good. I was like, okay, good, we're right. But Amanda is a gift. She pours her heart out. Man, Justin Joy, you guys know Justin Joy? Beastly, bearded bro of our church. <laughs> Former veteran who holds doors, keeps our kids safe on Sundays, and oh, by the way, just gonna, on the weekend, uh, take some time and pour the concrete in our coffee shop so Will can use his spiritual gift of coffee. <laughs> Dudes like that, they make our church. I had a, it's kind of weird to share this with you, I had a dream about Justin Joy during COVID. <laughs> I, uh, it was when things were like tense and the, you know, like rules and all the ins and outs. And I had a dream uh, that I got arrested for preaching and having our church move forward. And uh, so I'm in this jail cell and all of a sudden it gets kicked in and Justin's Joy is standing there with AK-47. <laughs> and I woke up and I was like, I think I'm gonna keep preaching. I feel like we're in good hands, <laughs> right, right? Listen, man, this is the church. I love how Alex Kutcher uses her photography skills for our church. I love when Adam and Ashton say, hey, we wanna open up a group to support foster parents and families in our church. I love when people come up to me and say, you know, I kinda like that backwards hat wearing skateboard and Bible dude that preaches. And I'm so grateful for Scott Bean in those moments, right? I love when Bree Martin cheers during announcements. And I love when Zach shames the rest of us for not cheering during announcements. <laughs> when Justin West somehow talks his teenage kids into helping him stack chairs. I love when the dozens of police officers uh, during the week who are out, you know, doing SWAT trainings and all this stuff come up to me, put their hand on my shoulder, and I'm like, ah, you know, put their hand on my shoulder, and they're like, you know we got you if anything happens. And I'm like, yes, you do. I'm grateful for you. I love when Jennifer Lundblad comes up to me after a funeral at another church and says, hi, I'm Jennifer, I don't know you, uh, but when I die, can you come preach at my funeral? <laughs> That's how we met. And now years later, years later, 
her and her husband are discipling the young adults of this church, pouring into them week after week. And the hundreds of other people and stories that I could never have enough time to know or share. You know what I think when I hear those things? I think of this phrase here in Ephesians 4, he gave. He gave you to this church. You are a gift to this body because without you, we wouldn't be who we are called to be, the church in this city. And so one of our deep values is, man, we are a collective. Let me just read this to you. Jesus has perfect oneness with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He prayed that his church too would be united with that kind of powerful jaw-dropping unity. The church is people with different gifts, stories, and backgrounds, but one mission, one love, one spirit, and one gospel. Because of this powerful unity in the gospel, our diverse strengths only serve to further advance the mission, amen? This is why Rise is a collective, a people of different origins now fighting for one mission, to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. So if anybody shows up, including your own self-conscience, your own internal voice and says there's something wrong with you, you just tell it to go to hell. Because the words of Jesus says you are a gift to our church. All right, that's only number two. All right, number three. <laughs> All right, speed up a little bit. Most teams are led by achievers. Thriving teams are led by equippers, okay? Now, let's look at this again. Uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for bu building up the body of Christ. And he continues on in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You are called to be raised up. That is the role of these gifts of the church, of leaders in the church, is that you would be called to be raised up. You are a leader. And some of you hate that word and you squirm at that word. But the problem and the reason we don't see ourselves as leaders is because either we have a bad definition of leadership or we, have an underestim or we underestimate the power of God's work in our lives. It's only one of two reasons. We think leadership starts with uh, two things. We think it starts with platform or position uh, and personality. And I feel like I've kind of cut that down a little bit. But, but here's what you need to understand about, uh, about platforms, you guys, and leadership. Leaders exist to build platforms for other people to stand on. That's biblical leadership. And so you use your personality and you use your power and you use your influence and you use your gifts to lift up the people around you to call out their voices. See, influence starts not with platform or personality, but loving with people enough to impact their lives. I love this quote by Ron Edmondson. He says, Moses was a leader. Deborah was a leader. David was a leader. Ruth was a leader. Joseph, Priscilla, Gideon, Nehemiah, Phoebe, Paul, Esther, Joshua, they're all leaders. Men and women God called to lead, sometimes reluctantly at first, humbled themselves before God, knowing that without him, they could do nothing. They stepped out where no one else had gone before and guided people to a God-ordained victory. 
They use their influence to move people to a greater reality than they could, ever, than they could have imagined in themselves. Here's a definition of a leader that I think is more helpful for you. Someone called by God to influence others towards God's good for them. Now, you get rid of the word leader in the beginning, and I think all of us can agree. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is a call put on you. You are called by God to influence others towards God's good for them. You, we're all called to make disciples. We're all called to reach others. Sometimes the view is not a small view of ourselves. The problem is it's a small view of God and who he made you to be and how he wants to use you. Eric Geiger put it like this. God's people are designed to influence others. God's people have been purchased by his blood and are empowered with his spirit to influence others. The world around them, they are designed to lead. If you are his, you are designed to lead. And your church is designed to create and commission leaders who serve the world as they represent Christ and reconcile people to him. I don't know about you, but I can get behind that. And so don't get caught up in the word. But remember the calling and the burden of what it looks like. And so we as a church, man, we have to constantly be raising up the next. The greatest use of our time and our resources and our energy is to raise up leaders to advance the great commission of making disciples. I want to show you this picture um, of a couple kids. Oh, I love these pictures, man. This is little Lennon Givens. Like, she's helping her dad who does all our graphics and all our vinyl work. And she's just putting up this big sign. This is Jesus. That's raising up the next. That's what that is. This is Isla and Sutton. And uh, they're part of the kids' welcome team, the greeters on Sunday. This is raising up the next. And, and if you look really closely, there's two tiny little introverted legs in the back. That's Hattie. She's hiding behind a sign. I did not notice that the first four times I saw that picture. <clears throat> the one on the right says, smile it's Sunday, and the one on the left says, you belong here. I, it's hidden, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that magic iPhone button. I hold it, and it moves and motions. So I'm glad you think highly enough of me that I could read through that, but we all have limits. Listen. We raise up the next. Nobody is too young to be used by God. And every single person who walks through these doors, who says yes to Jesus and is willing to walk in obedience, God has more for them than they ever imagined. And God wants to use you to be a voice of influence and equipping them and drawing them out and pouring into them. And so we raise up the next. Let me read this to you. Jesus obsessively developed people Though shouldering the burden of saving the, through shouldering the burden of saving the world, he always had time for people. He is the great multiplier, spinning into motion the disciple multiplying movement of the church. As Jesus' disciples, we are called to obsessively develop people. We multiply new disciples, group leaders, kids teachers, administrators, church planters, youth leaders, door greeters, you name it, we multiply it. We expand our gospel impact as far as possible in our city and as deep as possible into coming generations by relentlessly raising up. Man, this is a value. 
that is just written into the DNA of this church. Um, and uh, I, I want to show you guys a video. Um, and like I'm like pressing on time. I'll, I'll rush through the last two, but I think this is an important thing for us. Um, because in so many ways, this is a video that is a story of this idea of, of, of raising up. And uh, it's a video that a church in Colorado put together of Nolan and Lindsay, uh, kind of hearing their story uh, here at Rise and being called to plant. And as you watch this, I, I, I ask that you would just, in your heart, celebrate God's work. Celebrate what God is doing. That, that it's not about um, achievements or accolades. It's about kingdom investment and expansion. So let's check that out. That square right there is where we would sit with kids, um, like on the sidewalk, and we would have Bible study. I mean, because <laughs> kids come here for hot dogs. You know, it's like a dollar hot dog kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that's where it all started. That's where the Lord started to um, show me what it meant to love on people and dance the gospel. The Portland area is antagonistic to Christianity. Like, people here are suspicious of Christians, of pastors, of churches, and in some cases, rightfully so. But what has happened over the last seven years at our church is we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people who uh, don't have faith background, who did not grow up in the church, are getting baptized. I mean, we've baptized so many of our friends, so many of our neighbors, so many people from the city who literally wouldn't have known about Christ otherwise. I think it was about a year ago that you started to sense that God was calling us to start another church for people that were far from God, another church that preaches the word. Um, and uh, I, I at first was like, because we had always wanted to do, start a new ministry, start a church, something like that. I think we always felt like um, we were supposed to, and um, even when we were like 20. And more recently, as you, that stirring started in you, then you brought it up to me. Um, but I remember literally like waking up one day and realizing, yo, I'm in my 30s. Like, I, 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 if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do what God is calling me to do, like, I think now is the time. I mean, practically, like the last year, like we were pretty much just doing our thing the first half of the year, and in um, June was when things really started to take off. We talked with our leadership team and just said we feel super passionate about this and feel like God's like, go, like this is the time. I, I want to reach lost people and I'm willing to uh, break with tra traditional ideas of what it means to lead a church so that we will actually be positioned to reach people who never go to church. And so we are planting the Garden Church. That's the name the Lord gave uh, me, I think a few years ago when I was studying through Isaiah and saw that really the Bible itself is the story of the garden. That we were, we came from the garden where we had the presence of God, but we lost that through sin. Jesus ultimately comes to kind of bring us safely home back to his presence, back to his purpose. Because we want to be a healthy and thriving church that's centered around uh, the word, uh, the way of Jesus, and witnessing to a lost and dying world. That's kind of the vision that we've been um, articulating to people. 
My heart's passion was to make an impact in this generation. And so really I wanted to target where everyone was going and, and that um, is Phoenix. We specifically targeted the farthest reaches of the West Valley in a city called Buckeye because that is the fastest growing city by percentage out of any city in that area over the last decade and it's exploding right now. Even when we drive around Buckeye, as far as the eye can see, there are just master plan communities, uh, halfway constructed or fully constructed and waiting for uh, new people to purchase them. There's just new families everywhere. And so there is nothing but growth and expansion happening. And so we targeted this area because we know that God's heart beats for people and there are a lot of people coming. And so that, that's really the, the vision for that. There are totally nights where I'm going, like, are we really going to do this? Are we really going to leave everything we know um, to go reach people for Jesus? Um, are we really going to leave uh, this really secure, awesome church we've been part of over the last seven years and all the relationships we've had? Yeah, I think it kind of felt a little bit like you hop on a roller coaster and you get, like, you're like stoked and then you like buckle up. And then you're like, okay, actually, I want to get off maybe for a second. Like, uh, and it's like, nope, okay, as of next month, you don't have a job, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, we're just uprooting. And you're like an unemployed person yeah. who's got a lot of vision. That's what church <laughs> planning is. Yeah. It's crazy because, like, before, like, our first time coming here this year, I think when we landed, I kind of felt emotional because I was like, is this where we're going to be? And so this time, like we were landing last night, and I was kind of like, this is crazy that this is home now. Yeah, it's funny because we keep saying this whole idea of like, uh, the garden is the picture of home yeah. in the Bible. And so many people are moving to the valley and they're having that same experience where they're like, is this going to be home? Yeah. And what we're coming to say is that like ultimately home is where Jesus is present with you and um, where people can encounter God, where people can experience new life in the truest home, which is him, Jesus. And so when I think of the garden, I think of a place where lost people can meet Jesus, where it's a safe place to not be okay, where there are hundreds of people coming who would never hear the gospel, who would never like read the Bible, have no church background, but they're meeting Jesus and they're encountering God in his word and they're be trained up and discipled and ultimately even sending out five other church plants. So there's this huge dream in our hearts when it comes to the garden. Man, aren't you proud of those two? Whoa. I got to tell you, it's just a massive joy to watch them walk into God's calling. We got a big giant sign out there that says, rise up, rise up. And we have to be a people that don't, we're not, Diedrich Bonhoeffer put it like this. He says, the church is the only organization that exists for those outside of it. And we have to have a, an outsider, outward mindset. We're not pouring into the next generation. We're not raising up so that it benefits us and our accolades. It's so that it builds the kingdom. 
however God wants to use that and whatever he wants to do with that. So uh, let, me, let me go through these last three pretty quick. I only got through three, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, number four, uh, most teams fear losing the past. Thriving teams build the future. Most teams fear losing the past. Thriving teams build the future. D.L. Moody said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Mm. Uh, you guys ever heard of Blockbuster? <laughs> yeah. At their peak, they had 9,000 locations. Now they have Bend. <laughs> Shout out to that. Um, you know why? Um, here's the thing. They were afraid to start a subscription service. Uh, Netflix actually offered uh, their, their business to Blockbuster. They wanted Blockbuster to buy it uh, for $50 million, and they said, no way, we're not doing that. Um, but you know why they were afraid of uh, starting a subscription service? It's because they were afraid of uh, losing their late fees. I kid you not. A Blockbuster had 800, made $800 million in late fees in the year that Netflix was, was starting. And, and was, you know, offering to, you know, to be sold to them. Made up 16% of their revenue. What's interesting is if you hear the origin story of Netflix, you know why he started Netflix? Because um, he rented Apollo 13 and t- forgot to take it back, and so had a $40 late fee on Apollo 13. He's like, I'm tired of this. I'm starting a subscription service, okay? <laughs> uh, Blockbuster said no. Uh, today, if you go... Look at the market right now. Uh, Netflix is worth $157 billion. And you can still buy shares of Blockbuster on trading, like little coin, you know, like penny stocks. Um, their stock is 0.00001456.7 of a cent. <laughs> they feared losing their past, and in doing so, they became a thing of the past. And churches do the same. Um, I was at a church previous to Planting Rise, and I kind of thought I wanted to stay at that church. Um, the deal breaker for me, what finally said I, I, it's time for me to move on, was um, I, I had shared with the leadership of that church, hey, I want to start, I, I had just recently met Stacy and Chris and got to know, you know, kind of their background and, you know, worship and things like that. And I wanted to um, actually, um, I started Saturday night service and reach young people. We were an older dying church. I had a youth group and like very, there was maybe a couple dozen in between. And they were like, yes. And I kept casting vision and building it and what it's going to be. And then um, about two weeks before we launched it, they said, hey, we've made it change of plans, we're not gonna do that. I'm like, well, why? Like, just give me the reason why. They're like, look, um, if you start a Saturday night service, um, the young people from Sunday, um, which was about a dozen or two dozen, they're gonna all move to Saturday and it's gonna ruin the life of our church. And they were focused on what they could lose rather than what they could gain, what they could build. And so ultimately, it just reached a point where I was like, all right, like, if that's, if that's what I'm going to come up against, um, it's probably time for us to move on. And we moved on, and we eventually said, all right, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to plant a church called, called Rise, and we're going to plant in the middle of the city. And what we've seen God do is reach hundreds of people with the gospel. Um, most of us, we fear losing the past. But to thrive, uh, we need to look at building, uh, building the future. And so we just have to ask ourselves, am I just trying to preserve the past? And am I sacrificing the future on the altar of preserving the past? Those are important questions. Number five, most teams avoid conflict. 
but thriving teams embrace healthy conflict. And this sounds contradictory, um, but where most people exist is we don't want any conflict. But conflict is how we work through decisions. Conflict is how we know each other better and work through. We, and we get afraid of destructive conflict, and we don't want that. So we stay on the, edge, on the edge of no conflict. But healthy conflict is being able to disagree and speak your mind honestly so that your team can successfully make the best decision. Um, here, here's three things real quick that healthy conflict do or lack of conflict do. Lack of conflict prevents depth of relationship. Right? Think about it in a marriage. Like actually the whole... If you have healthy conflict, you're able to work through things and, and, and build on those things. And anybody, um, you know, whoever invented the dual climate control, I guarantee, in a car, you know what I'm talking about? I guarantee they were not married, right? Because they know, like, the spouse always is like, no, sink. I want the whole, if I want the car warm, I want the whole car warm, not my side. And you're like, no, sink, right? And so when Jesse and I, when we first got married, this was one of the things we would fight about constantly, okay? We'd get in the car, and it'd be like one degree off of what she wanted it. And so she'd turn it, like, as hot as possible, right? And, and as high as possible. I'm like, now I'm going to be sweating in, like, four seconds, you know? Or then it's, like, cold, you know, like, oh, no, now I'm too hot. All the windows down, AC on. It was like, woo, woo, back and forth, you know? And we'd get in these fights about it, okay? And, and, and and a couple nights ago, uh, I, I, I walk into our room, and she's, it, it's when it was freezing cold, and she's got the, you know, the windows open, and like ice age is happening, you know, in our bedroom. Like, she's like, well, I was a little bit warm, you know, and like, and then, you know, and then last night I, I walk in, and it's just like, you know, it's like hotter, it's like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings, like, the, you know, just the heat and humidity. I'm like, she's like, I was a little cold, and I was like, oh, goodness, you're all over the place. And she's like, well, hey, at least I'm consistent. I'm same in the bedroom, you know, same here as I am in the car, right? And, and, and we laugh and all this stuff. And I sit back and I'm like, you know, this is what 11 years of healthy conflict does. We're at a point now where like we can laugh about these moments, right? Rather than these things that we would battle about early on. And here's the problem. The most um, unhealthy marriages are ones who never work through things, never actually work through conflict. The most unhealthy teams are the same way. And so we actually have to work through. Lack of conflict, it inhibits innovation. You can't come up with, work through ideas. Lack of conflict leads to bad decision making. And so you have to actually work through these things in a, in a healthy way. And one of the things that I do on a consistent basis um, it, when you're sitting there and having a discussion and people are, um, people are disagreeing about something, it, it's like, it's good to just stop and say, hey, by the way, this is really good what's happening right now. Like the way we're treating each other, but we have to disagree about stuff to, to work through things in a good way and make progress. And, and, and lastly, uh, most teams focus on task. Thriving teams waste time on relational depth and leadership development. You, you gotta pour in relationally. And so, you know, every week, our, our staff, our executive ministry team that kind of runs the day-to-day of this church, we get together for two hours. And there's a lot to do. There's a lot of things coming up that we gotta think through and plan for. Um, but we always spend about 30, 45, 60 minutes grow, at the beginning of our meeting growing together. Either it's, it, it's growing in our leadership development or ministry strategy or just relational time together. And it is not, it is the best way to waste time. See, relational depth that is forged in the fun times is what prepares you for relational, gives you the relational equity you need to get through the hard times. So you have to build these relationships on your team. You have to actually pour into it. So we, we had a, a team leads all day uh, a couple weeks ago. We spent all day, and, and this was one of my favorite pictures of that day. 
right? We literally went in the lobby and we split up into two teams, you know, 30 of us out there, and we played youth group games like we were in high school all over again. These are forging moments. See, the relational depth that's forged when you, it is forged when you both laugh and, and you've cried together. Most teams cry for unity when they get to crisis. Thriving teams build unity before it's ever needed. And that's what carries you through those, those things. See, we have to constantly be, be sharpening. There's this, I'll, I'll just end, I'll end with this. Um, there's this old fable, this, this parable. Two guys, uh, every day, you know, they, they go, into the, go into the woods and they chop down trees. And they're chopping wood. And, uh, you know, one day they decide, hey, we're going to have a competition today, see who can chop the most wood. And so they each go off their separate ways. And uh, one guy, he's just sitting there chopping. And about an hour in, he starts getting tired. But then he notices, he hears the other guy has stopped. And he's like, this is my chance to get ahead. So he just keeps chopping. And then the other guy picks up, so he keeps chopping. And then about, an, again, an hour later, the other guy stops for about 15 minutes. And he's like, oh, now I'm really far ahead. And so he just keeps chopping all day, all day, all day. At every hour for 15 minutes, the other guy stops chopping. Finally, they get done and he walks over and he sees the other guy and the guy has chopped way more wood than he did. And he's like, how is this possible? I, when you were stopped and you were resting and you were taking time off, I'm still pressing ahead. And he goes, oh man, every hour when I would stop for 15 minutes, I wouldn't just stop because I was lazy. I would stop and sharpen my ax. And here's what I need you to hear. This is why I'm so grateful for moments like this. You came here to sharpen your ax, to say no, like leadership and development and strategy and all of that matters. And, and just as a thought for, for a bonus on this idea, listen, most teams are led uh, by human strategy, human endeavors. Thriving teams in the church are led by the power and movement of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what we need in our church. And, and as I've just been even reflecting on the life of our church and the journey that we've been on and, the, and what we've gone through, we've had some hard moments. We've had painful moments. We've had seasons like COVID and thinking we're gonna be in the building and, 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 and you know, wrestlings and all, all the losing people, all, all those kind of things, those are hard moments. Yet the church just keeps pressing on, keeps moving forward. And, and if I can be honest with you, um, we got together with our leaders this weekend and I just sat there and I thought, man, I'm, I'm more excited than I've ever been about where God has rise and where God is taking it. The trials will come, the hardships will come, the challenges will come. But if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, if we can submit to the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit, if we could understand how each of us has a role to play in the church, if we could build actual unity and depth of relationship, if we can keep sharpening the ax and sharpening one another like iron sharpens, man, I really believe like the best days are even yet to come. The best days are ahead. And if they're not, Jesus is coming back and that'll be the best day and the only day that matters. The one we look forward to more than anything. And so, man, if you take nothing else away, listen to me, God has you here. You are a gift to his church. And if we would be but clay in the potter's hands, he's gonna make something beautiful. You guys stand with me. I just wanna pray for you.
Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you've done and what you will do. Lord, would we be ever surrendered to your movement in our lives? Would we be ever surrendered to how you wanna use us? Would we reject the lies of the enemy that says there's something wrong with us or our personality or our gifting? I wish we were something different. Would we be a people who truly love one another? Would we understand that we may make our plans, but you will guide our steps? Would we have that kind of flexibility? Would we look at those around us and say, man, how's, how's God calling me to raise them up and to send them off and to bless them and to encourage them? And Lord, through it all, would we, we just have a beautiful unity by the power of your spirit and the blood of your son that guides us and directs us. I pray all this in your name.